0: Welcome to the Schools and Academies show podcast. Don't forget to register for your free place at our upcoming show on www.schoolsandacademieshow.co.uk.
1: Hello and welcome to the Schools and Academies show podcast. I'm Ossinelle, organised the show and your host for this the second season. For the first episode of the season, we're looking back at some of the highlights from November's show. But before we get into the episodes, I want to say a big thank you to our speakers, partners and sponsors who are working with us to continue to provide CPD content and online learning. We're committed to providing a free resource of practitioner-led instruction and conversation so that professionals such as yourselves don't have to put their progression on pause. The UK's education sector, whilst managing what seems like an impossible situation of teaching and caring for nearly 8 million children in primary and secondary education, still deserve access to learning themselves, and we are happy to provide this. In fact, on the 27th to 30th of April, the Schools and Academies Show Online is returning with a host of talks, discussions, roundtables, interviews and networking opportunities for the whole sector to enjoy for free. We are looking forward to hearing from the Parliamentary Under Secretary of State from the school system, that's Baroness Berridge, and the CEO of the Chartered College for Teaching, Dame Alison Peacock. In addition to this, we're also looking forward to the Director of the National Tutoring Programme, Emily Yeomans, joining us to the show. You can find all the details by heading over to www.schoolsandacademyshow.co.uk, where you can also register for the show and sign up to our subscriber list. Now, we know that the whole sector is dedicated to recovering from the impacts of the pandemic as soon as possible. But it's been said many times by many people, the return to normal is neither tangible nor desirable. The sector is therefore collectively moving the narrative from recovery to rediscovery. The past year has been an occasion to reflect on what it means to be educators, as well as what schools can and should mean to students, teachers and the communities which they serve. With these big questions in mind, we hope the show will provide the sector with the opportunity not to just deal with the immediate future, but to co-design a long-term vision. At last year's show, we were lucky enough to have the Shelley Minister for Schools where Streeting MP share his thoughts on the future of the sector. And for this episode, we'd like to pick up on three areas during that interview, which we hope to extensively cover at April's show, namely exams, inspections and school structures – Wes was interviewed by the Right Honourable David Laws, Executive Chairman at the Education Policy Institute and Minister of State for Schools under David Cameron's coalition government. And for David Laws' first question, he asks Wes about Labour's vision for school structures.
0: At the last election, there was a bit of a feeling um, from the Labour manifesto that some of that structural change, which I suppose actually accelerated quite a lot post-2010, Uh, really needed to be reversed and there was a suggestion in the Labour Party manifesto that local authorities should have a bigger role again in education. Um, Is what you see for any future Labour government uh, involving a large element of turning the clock back or is your assumption that the education system that we've got today, that the mixture of local authority schools and, and academies that you're going to more or less sort of freeze things as they are now.
2: Yeah, I think we've got to turn our face firmly into the future and we could spend an awful lot of time, legislative time, potentially court time, as well as public money, trying to unscramble the system, recreate something from the past and not make a single bit of difference to the educational experience of any child in the country or the experience of any a member of staff turning up to work, whether teaching staff or support staff, um, I think you've got to follow the evidence. I mean, one of the things that we now have uh, in terms of shaping education policy in this country is more data, more evidence, more practice than ever before. So I think that's what we have to do when we think about how we want to build a twenty-first century education system: is really follow the evidence. I'm really interested, actually, in in going around the country and meeting schools that have used their freedoms to do interesting innovative things. I want to make sure that space for innovation doesn't just exist um, for those schools that happen to be free schools or academies, but also exists within local authority maintained structures too. And more broadly, I think there is a role um, or a question at least to to examine the role about the role of um, local authorities in terms of championing the interests of parents, of pupils, and making sure that across the board in their communities, uh, we've got schools that are really delivering and are getting the best out of their pupils and setting them up to succeed in the future. Whether or not that's um you know the recreation of local education authorities, I'm not sure. And by the way, I think you know, there's an awful lot of water under the bridge since. Um, but I'm interested in that role of, of for local authorities in terms of accountability. But my, my instinct is that's about creating a new dynamic um, between local authorities and schools and also a more collaborative environment for different types of schools to work together within a community rather than just trying to reinvent models of of, of the past. So I think my my instinct is to be very forward looking about this and and not sort of hark back to days gone by uh, or even to pretend that everything was perfect and rosy back then because evidently it wasn't. Um, I think we've got to look at what's working well, which. Um, approaches are working well uh, and how schools are getting the best out of their pupils and and their staff uh, and I, I think that's a lot less about who's running schools and more about how good leadership good teaching is is delivering for pupils
0: and it sounds like uh, you're thinking therefore of a bit of a, a mixed economy really in schools in the future where if schools want to continue to be academies they'd be able to uh, to do so, and those schools that are, that are in local authority groups would be able to to do so as well. But are you thinking, uh, your, your comments there about the role of, of local authorities, are you suggesting that the local authority role might evolve a bit so that in some of the more strategic areas, local authorities have a responsibility both for academy schools and LA schools? Or, or, or do you really just see... A choice between the existing local authority model and academies, and some schools operating under one model and some under the other.
2: Well, I think the, da- the danger is um, this-, this conversation sort of opens up um, a whole set of can of worms in terms of whether or not you want to transfer schools from one, um, you know, one uh, authority from another, whether that's a multi academy trust or a local authority, and whether you want to move between um, one or the other. Um, you know, you know, I'm not sure that necessarily fundamentally changes what goes on within a school and helps to achieve either of the two missions I described earlier around raising standards and tackling educational disadvantage. What what I am wanting to spend quite a bit of time focusing on and, and, and talking to people about are particular um, towns, communities where progress on raising standards and tackling educational disadvantage has not moved in the direction that we would want and has not moved as fast as we would like. And there I think when you take the London challenge as an example, having really good local leadership with the resources to back it up, focused on getting um, the right teachers in place, the right leadership within schools in place, that had a massive impact on our capital city. There are lots of other areas where um, I'd like to see a similar focus on turning around uh, schools, on tackling disadvantage. And I think some of those, and this goes actually some of my broader political instincts actually, I think there's far too much centralization of power and decision making and resources in our country. And I'd like to see a lot more of those decisions uh, and responsibility and crucially resources devolved locally. And, I, and I'm, I'm interested in exploring, I don't have kind of particularly fixed um, views about how best we do it. That's the conversation I want to have. But but I do think there's something about that local leadership and local focus that really made a difference in London um, and we should seek to replicate elsewhere. Clearly just taking the London challenge model and sort of dusting off the the manual as it were and sort of thinking that will roll out in Knowsley or Blackpool or Stoke-on-Trent, that's not quite right. Different communities will have different challenges and different opportunities. And that's why I think local leadership is really important. So it may be that local authorities or metro mayors or other um, other ways of, kind of localising leadership could deliver the outcomes we want. And that may not necessarily be the same, by the way, as those um, local authorities or mayors directly running schools. For me, local leadership, and having been a local councillor myself, local leadership is really about making sure that public services are delivering for people in our communities. Uh, And that may not mean um, direct local authority control in the way that we've seen in the past. But but I think what we've ended up with, and I think actually the reason why we're having this conversation, is over the last sort of decade or more, we've ended up with a quite a lopsided and complicated system Uh, and and I think we've got to go back to first principles about how we get the very best out of the workforce, how we get the best out of pupils uh, and, and how we create a framework for schools to work collaboratively together. Those are the sorts of things I'm interested in exploring.
1: So there we are, a return to first principles and a framework for schools to collaborate. Indeed, schools and educators generally are collaborating more and more to build shared resources and co-create best practice where it previously may not have existed. With an abundance of best practice coming from all directions, it's not always clear who to go to. But one information relationship which has grown stronger over the past year is that of the local authority and all schools within its areas. At April's show, we're looking to try to redefine this relationship in the wake of the pandemic, and we assess the importance of locality. We're also excited to explore regional initiatives, such as the Education Commissioners' REACT teams. Just as important as how schools are structured is our approach to how progress is measured, both in regards to student and school performance. In Wes's interview, David digs into how Labour might address these two areas, if in power.
0: Wes, you mentioned uh, exams and assessments in your answer and talked about what's happened in 2020 and what may happen in 2021. There are a lot of people in education, including amongst the uh, teacher and head teacher unions, who think that there is an opportunity now to move away from an education system that has too many exams, too many assessments, That has turned into a bit of an exams factory. Uh, But there are also people, including some of those who were ministers in the last Labour government, who've argued that unless you have exams and assessments then young people, particularly from more disadvantaged backgrounds, are going to fall behind. There won't be proper accountability and pressure to help them to catch up. Where do you stand in this uh, debate over whether we should keep a quite sort of high assessment highly examined system or move away to something where there is less formal assessment and examination and maybe a bigger role for teacher assessment.
2: To be honest I I come to this with an open mind but let's just sort of go back to first principles really. What is it that we're, we're looking for with the exams that we have? Well firstly it's recognition for pupils about What they've learned, what they've been able to do, and to demonstrate their abilities and to have some recognition of that um, in the form of an exam and and grades and certificates. That then enables them to move on to the next stage of their life, whether further education or or employment. And the second thing is it it helps to give us a sense of where the um, particular school and the system as a whole is in terms of standards and achievement, and, and it and it provides a sort of benchmark for. Policy makers, um, you know, government and parents to make judgments about how the system overall is doing. Um, I'm not convinced that exams are the only way to do this. I think got, there are a, a number of ways in which we can look at pupils' achievements, and um, in many respects, I lament um, the extent to which um, government has been stripping away at various ways for pupils to demonstrate um, their uh, learning and abilities and achievement uh, before they get to the final high stakes exams. So, sort of taking the axe to coursework and taking the axe to modular examinations. Um, that 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 worries me because, well, frankly, if we had if the government hadn't done that, there would have been a broader evidence base for um, for, for government and and an to have, have arrived at some better decisions around last year's A level debacles, for example. Um, there are other ways of looking at, um, at school performance, uh, but fundamentally, I think the, the one of the reasons why I sort of fall down in favour of exams overall is they do provide a consistent and accessible way in which to make assessments and judgments. Um, I know that there's been a, a sort of strong argument in favour of greater teacher assessment, but I do think last summer, once we reverted to the centre-assessed grades. And teachers got a bit of a taste of what that could look like um, in terms of um, a number of parents being very unhappy about judgments that schools or and individual teachers had made, um, reducing schools to um, individual awarding bodies, and the danger of the sharp elbow parents turning up to say, why have Jeremy and Jemima being given sevens when they deserve nines? So I, I think there's you know all I'd say to the professional on, on greater teacher assessment is be careful what you wish for. Um, but this, as I say, this is an area that um, I sort of approach with an open mind. There is a question about whether we're examining too often um, and whether we're examining too much um, in some subjects where, where we could use other assessment methods. So we'll approach it with an open mind and the, and the good thing about my appointment at this stage in the electoral cycle is we've got a good few years until the next general election and the manifesto being written um, and, and I'm, I'm approaching it in a sort of genuinely open-minded and intellectually curious way.
0: That sounds very sensible, particularly for a man who's uh, only a few weeks into his role. Um, but I suppose there is one issue around uh, assessment and accountability where um, people do tend to have instinctively strong views on one side or the other, and that's on the issue of whether there should be a schools inspectorate, Ofsted, as it now is. Now, under um, you know the the new Labour government of Blair and Brown there was very strong support from the top for something like Ofsted um, and a view that, you know, you had to have strong accountability and inspection of schools. The last Labour manifesto suggested getting rid of Ofsted. It did hint at some other type of uh, inspection system for schools, but it didn't set out any details of that. Uh, What are your own instincts on this at this early stage? I mean, do you think we should stick with Offsted, uh, or do you think there is a strong argument for for getting rid of it?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question, David, um, because whether it's the conversation we've just had about school structures or about um, exams, what what I would say to people in terms of how to how to approach us in the shadow education team is: don't tell us what you want to scrap; tell us what you want to build. So, um, if you think that school structures. Um, aren't currently arranged in the way they should be and decision making isn't right, well, tell us how to improve it. If you don't think that the um, way that we currently assess and judge pupils is right, well, tell us how to improve it. If you don't think that Ofsted is doing its job well enough, well, tell us how we could make it better. But sometimes there's an approach that says, oh, we want to scrap these exams and we want to get rid of free schools and academies and we want to get rid of Ofsted without actually thinking about what those especially in the case of Ofsted, what it is it's trying to do. I mean, fundamentally, Ofsted is there to assure us, um, whether parliament or parents and the public, that standards in schools are, are as we would expect them to be. That's what what's going on in schools is fundamentally delivering for our nation's children. And that's a really important role. Um, my sense is from talking to teachers in my own constituency and some of the conversations I've been having early in this role in recent weeks. I I think that the general sense is that Ofsted has improved in a number of respects in recent years and certainly things like thematic reviews I think people consider to be broadly useful. I sometimes think that Ofsted is trying to achieve too much um, with the um, current inspection and it may be that we should be looking at different um, elements of, of the inspection in different ways, safeguarding being a good example. Um, you know, safeguarding inspections are really important. Um, whether or not it should be just lumped in on, on the on the on the current high stakes uh, visit is something else. Whether or not there should be a single high stakes visit is a reasonable question that people ask. Um, But ultimately, um, if you didn't have Ofsted, you would need to reinvent it. And So, um, simply hoping we can scrap Ofsted and and all of the problems that people have with an external inspections regime goes away, I'm not sure that's right. And um, I, I think what Labour got wrong, if I can be frank, before the last election was that the public heard the scrap Ofsted bit. They didn't hear the, we want to replace it with something better bit. And as a result, I mean, I had, I can tell you that that one cut through pretty quickly um, to parents and grandparents who were saying, why are you going soft on standards? Um, and that's not where um, where I'm prepared to be and where I think the Labour Party should be. Um, but But, you know, the fundamental point here is don't tell us what you want to scrap. Tell us what you want to build.
1: Since November, we have, of course, suffered another lockdown and witnessed a painful shift in policy towards exams painful because we've seen the havoc caused by disjointed assessments while the department for education digests the information from one of its largest ever consultation programs we know that for this year at least grades will be determined in some form by teachers on both the place of offset and assessments perhaps this is a chance to pause and think differently for a more future-proofed vision indeed the establishment of rethinking assessments coalition with such names as Jeff Barton and pioneering head teachers as Leanne Ford Nassi, demonstrates the end, the beginning of this rethinking process. With lots on the table, we are working to build a programme of content for this April show to highlight some of these areas hold from the perspective of school leaders. School leaders such as Vicky Smith from Brunel Map, David Anderson from Uppingham Community College, Karen Giles, head teacher at Barnum Primary School, and Mufti Hamid Patel from Star Academies. I could go on listing all the great leaders we are so proud to be working with, but I encourage you to check them out on our website where you can also register. Thanks for joining us for the first episode of the second series. If you'd like to get involved, have a story to tell, or share your perspective on education policy and practice, please get in touch via our website. Until then, thanks for listening.
0: Don't forget to register for your free place at our upcoming show on